by his stripes we are healed by his nail pierced hands we're free by his blood we're washed clean now we have the sin is broken Jesus overcame it all He has won our freedom Jesus has won it all
majesty You are the risen King Death could not hold you His death could not hold you to turn to the word Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 18 this is the text of Pastor Daniel's sermon this morning so if you'd like to turn there or just follow along I'm going to read this passage of scripture Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 18 and I'm reading from the ESV Jesus words in the Sermon on the Mount Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive, also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, 
that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. May God bless his word to our hearts. Pastor Daniel. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, you know, there's, there's power in just reading Scripture aloud. You know, Paul actually told Timothy, he said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Um, you know, these, these books and letters were kind of written, they were written to be read aloud to these early churches who did not have printing presses, right? And so when they were delivered, they just read these aloud to the church. So they're actually meant to be spoken, just like we heard. And yes, this will be a three-hour sermon. That's a lot of text, so I hope you brought lunch. Um, so last week, before we start, let me pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you left your spirit with us who inspired these authors to give us these scriptures, Lord. We pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would apply these to our heart, not just apply for the sake of knowledge, Lord, because too often we know uh, too much about your scriptures when we are not formed near enough by them. So Lord, I pray this morning that we would allow your word to form us and to shape us into your image, into a world that desperately needs flourishing Christians and flourishing churches. And so may this word penetrate us and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So last week we spoke of a way of life in Jesus' kingdom that leads to the end goal of you and I just exuding the image and glory of God as we navigated various, uh, very normal circumstances uh, in this broken world that you and I inevitably experience in our lives. And today Jesus continues this line of thinking into a different area, but he once again, he, he still maintains a focus on our heart, a focus on our intentions and our motivations, but this time in specific areas concerning how you and I practice the living out of our faith, how we actually live out this Christianity in the more quote-unquote spiritual areas. So to help us understand this passage, I think this is a helpful illustration most of us have been to one of those fun houses, you know, like at um, state carnivals or um, carnivals or fair, fairs, um, or like at Six Flags or something like that, right? And when you walk in there, uh, the mirrors make you look funny, and then you laugh, right? It's like, look, I'm 10 feet wide, and I'm only three feet tall, or you know how these things work. I remember, uh, I'm embarrassed, Abel, who's sitting here this morning, my 10-year-old son, I mean, he was like three, I think, or two. I remember taking him to one of these. And, you know, he wasn't, uh, he didn't figure out if he should laugh or cry. Like, he was scared, but f still laughing. It was like, oh, what am I looking at? You know, you get understand what was going on. But we kind of love to make ourselves look different, right? I think with all of us, if we are honest, there's this underlying current of anxiety that is inside of us that is always there in terms of us finally being found out. If people only, people only really saw who I really was, I don't know how many friends I would have. If they really saw what goes on in here and deep in here, I wonder who would still be by my side. If only they knew what I did years ago or my past life. 
If only people could really see the depths of my heart and just how dark things could get down there. I don't know if I would have many friends. We go to the fun houses because those mirrors make us look silly. But you and I love, in a way, to build our own fun houses with our own mirrors in which we proceed to manipulate our own image. But rather than these mirrors being silly, where our eyes are bulged out and our mouths are real big, these images often reflect uh, something that is a little more spiritual or more pious than the real you. This is what I mean. Uh, I've done it. I mean, come on, we're all humans here. People walk into church, and I've had an awful week where I'm experiencing just, you know, a season of just really di- real difficulty. And maybe even it's my fault because I can be an idiot sometimes. And people walk up and say, how are you doing? I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm just fine. And I'm smiling away. And inside, I'm just ripping apart at the seams. But I got that smile really down, right? The church smile, you know what I'm talking about. You know that everybody, we all kind of expect from one another. But if you were to actually respond, I'm really doing terrible. Some people would be like, oh, uh, Okay. Uh, I didn't expect that because we kind of, you know, we like this whole, like, I'm great, how are you? Oh, I'm so good. Yeah, praise God, we're good, you know. And we can do that really easily in a way it makes us look great on the outside when in the inside we are just completely in need of spiritual renewal and forgiveness or cleansing or help or a brother or a sister to pray for us. Right? And that can so especially be true in church settings because we can get good at these religious actions and faking them to make us look very Christian-y or very holy. We can wave that Jesus flag really loud and proud, right? It makes us look more holy. We can pray with really loud and intense voices so people can think, man, that guy really looks more spiritual than I. And your true spiritual state can be hidden, but just how high your hands are raised during worship and adding that extra zero on that tithe check just might get you a little more attention from the church staff. We love to project the different image of ourselves out there that is not a true representation of who we are because maybe we are afraid of people knowing who we truly are, as I'm going to show at the end, that we are actually not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we build these little fun houses. We invite people to it. They leave impressed by our wavy mirrors that project that deeper spiritual image of yourself. And you walk away knowing that maybe some of that's true, but not much. And you continue to stuff down that real you. Jesus confronts that this morning. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like when we do that. And it's nothing new, as we're going to see. This has been going on for thousands of years. And Jesus confronts this this morning. And then he digresses in the middle. It's not a digress, but in the middle of it, he kind of gives his little footnote um, of the Lord's Prayer. And we'll get into that. But I'm going to argue that the Lord's Prayer, kind of at the middle of the sermon here, is going to really ground us this morning in how we are to uh, live out these things, think about ourselves, what is the, the aim of all these various things you're going to be mentioning and looking at this morning, how are they to be aimed, and what is the general direction of my heart supposed to be aimed? The Lord's Prayer grounds that this morning and helps bring home our text and brings uh, 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 healing to our disease of self-centeredness that is just perpetually within us. So let's dive into this text this morning, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1 of Matthew. This is the word of the Lord. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for your Father who is in heaven. Preparing sermons like this is easy when Jesus kind of gives you the statement that sums up the entire sermon. Well, there it is. That's it. It's like, thank you. Makes my point very clear this morning. Easy work. Thank you, Jesus. That's the summary of our sermon. Beware. A few sermons ago, if you read this carefully, you may say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought a few weeks ago, Jesus said to let our light shine before others that they may see our good works. Matthew 5, 16. He sure did. There's a difference with that passage in this one, though. We let our good works and our light shine before others in Matthew 5, 16, that they may see it and give glory to God. Jesus here says, beware of doing that, that you may be seen or that you receive the glory. Entirely different motivation. Perhaps the action isn't a whole lot of difference, right? On the outside, it looks the same, but internally very different. And this is, I had a professor once who said this. He said, you know, it would have been easier if we would have got like a list of things to do. But this whole like bringing, you know, uh, this Bible, God's law and writing it into our hearts makes it really difficult because we all know our hearts is a complex place. This is hard stuff to when Jesus addresses our motivations, right? So let's continue as we see um, how he walks us through in this first section, which is through our generosity, which is through our giving. Verse two, he says this. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So recently, on social media, which really is a good place to, uh, you know, tout uh, things. Is that a word, tout? I don't know. I think it is. That, to do this, you know. I saw a celebrity, and uh, he was just recently became famous young guy. And, uh, you know, he grew up in not complete abject poverty, but he wasn't exactly middle class, right? He had a hard life growing up, and he really hit it big in Hollywood. Now he's worth a lot of money. And it was a moving video because he has his parents in front of him who grew up with nothing and their parents grew up with nothing and now their son has everything and he, he, he gives them the gift of paying off their mortgage on their little house. But then even more so, he gives them with a much nicer home that also is paid off. And of course, his parents were weeping. They never had anything like this. And you see the generosity and you're like, well, this is, this is pretty moving. That's great. But you know, there's a little issue here is that it was like professionally filmed. There's cameras everywhere, right? And then it's put all over social media. And so the question, not, I don't want to, I don't want to judge this person because I don't know, but you can't help but think like, would it have been more powerful if that was just not done in public and it was no cameras and it was just done? Like who, who when, when we see those social media videos of people going up to the, the homeless shelters or the, or the family who has great need and they're giving them all this stuff, but it's all, you know, that they're being generous and the gift is, is wonderful, but it's filmed and put on social media and, and, and spread about and people are like, wow, that person is amazing. My question always is, who are you doing this for? Are you really giving them the gift or are you in a roundabout way just gifting yourself with something? You see how that works? 
And I want to talk about giving uh, to the church here for a moment, uh, tithing, offerings, okay, which is biblical, but sermon for a different day. Um, I really wish, here's what I would, if I had public office, which I never will, but if I had public office, I, you may think I'm crazy, but you hear me out, I would get rid of tax write-offs for churches. I really would. This is why. Because it stands as a pollutant for you and I giving to the church. It stands as a potential pollutant for you and I and why we give to the church, right? It's at the end of the year and you think, oh man, I gotta, I gotta have some more tax write-offs this year. Oh, church, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give to the church, right? That's great, but who are you really giving to in that moment, right? Are you, are you just kind of helping yourself there or are you actually giving to Jesus? There's a difference there. Who exactly are you giving to. Now, you know, nobody stands beside the offering box and they're like, hey, you sh- did you see the check I just put in there? I, I added a zero and it's- it was pretty awesome. Um, it, was- it was big. It was probably bigger than anybody else's. Like, nobody's doing that, okay? And that's, you know, Jesus's hypothetical situation. I don't know, maybe there was a guy like doing that in the synagogues, but you know, he might be just exaggerating just like that story I just shared, right? Nobody's really sitting there saying, hey, look at the check I just put in there, right? But he's really addressing our heart issue. And this is how you are to give. And we're going to give it through an example of my son, Micah. Micah's five. He's a beast. My kids call him brick hands because if you wrestle him and he starts swinging, he'll, like, he'll take you out. I mean, he's, he's jacked. My kid's jacked. He's five. He's, he'll be stronger than me in like two years, all right? But he has an artsy side behind his tough guy persona. He likes drawing. He loves drawing. All my kids really love drawing, but Micah loves drawing. So a few weeks back, he drew a picture for me. I mean, he was so happy. I walked in the door from home, and sometimes I'm distracted, and my wife always says, you know, they're trying to give you something. Will you snap and pay attention? This is, you know, like, okay, Micah, yes, what do you have for me? And he gives me this picture, and there is this, like, tall, really hairy, alien monster-looking thing. It had glasses, big head. And I was like, Micah, what is that? He looks at me with his little puppy dog eyes, like he does, and he says, that's you. I'm thinking, I know I need a little trim here, but okay. But he looks at me in the eyes and he says, I drew it for you because I love you. And he meant that in his little eyes. He drew it for me, for his father. He didn't care when anyone thought of his picture. It wasn't even a thought in his mind. All he cared about was that his daddy got his gift. Why are you generous to the needy? Why are you generous to the church? Are you really giving it to your daddy, God, Abba, Father? Is that the state of your heart? That is what Jesus is guiding us towards. There's no other, any other reason. That's the the only rewards you're getting, right? And often those rewards are in secret. You know, if you give for a wrong motive, only you know that. Are you giving to God, your father, just like that five-year-old kid who draws that Weird picture just just for his father because he loves him. That's why we are to be generous. When you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your right hand is doing. That your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I challenge you. The next check you write for Emmanuel, consider doing it anonymously. Right? So you won't get any benefit. Dropping cash. 
Why not? Who are you doing it for? On the next section, beginning in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's some repetition. You can understand why I'm preaching so much text, because it all kind of fits with one another. There's this Christian satire website, and I, I cut some of it out, but I, I, this is a funny little story that actually, you know, uh, 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 exemplifies this really well. This is um, what the, it's a fake article, fake story, okay, but it, it shows this point well. So somewhere in Tennessee, patrons of a local pizza buffet, they were awed, awed and confused on Monday afternoon when the father of two in a corner booth reportedly took on the persona of a 17th century Puritan to say grace over his family's meal. The restaurant, half full at the time, was reportedly quiet. Um, local woman uh, Dawn was at the table next to him when his booming voice split the low murmur of the pizzeria, saying, O eternal triune God, thou hast blessed us with bounty incalculable. I froze in my chair, reported the woman. Who talks like that? He went on for at least five minutes, all these and thous and ohs, and she says, I go to church myself, we talk like normal people, but the volume's not on 11, and you get the idea. You ever pray with somebody who does that, right? It's like, oh, thee, and just goes on to this big elaborate theological sermons, and his, his, big, pray, his big prayers, right? And Jesus kind of, he, he kind of addresses that, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because we, we, we've maybe been around people who pray that way, right? And again, the question that just repeats itself over and over is saying, who are you really praying to? Pr you know, prayer is not like a public, uh, uh, you know, drama skit to Im impress people around you. Who are you doing it for, right? Or are you, when you pray that way in public and in group settings, are you just inviting people into your new fun house in order that they may see a more pious and holy version of you that does not actually match reality. The idea here is praying in secret. Another repetition from Jesus. Go to your room. There's no need for flamboyant prayers in your room when you're alone because you were just in your room alone with your daddy. That's the common theme. Jesus is continually asking us this question. He's saying, if you want to be a follower of me, I need the most core, deep parts of you to be altered and changed and renewed that has God at the center of everything you're doing and you need to just disappear. You need to float away from the center of your life. This is not about you any longer. Part of our salvation is that we become bond servants to Jesus. And the whole idea of being a bond servant to Jesus is that you are now enchained to him. And he says, and that's where you will truly be free. The second you try to break away from that and make life all about you again is when you will find yourself slowly withering away and potentially even bringing harm and destruction to your own self. Jesus wants God to be at the center of all that we do. And this is his uh, little footnote here, the Lord's Prayer. Beginning of verse 7, he says this, when you pray, don't heap up those empty phrases, the these and thous. Don't pray in King James like the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Maybe some of you had to refrain from just wanting to say that aloud with me, right? You should have, I mean, fine. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Stern words from our Lord. This interruption here is famously called the Lord's Prayer. It stands as a guide for how to pray. Now, I could preach a whole series on this prayer. I preach many sermons on this prayer. I love this prayer. There's many nights where I actually pray this with my children, slowly, because there's never a time when I don't really, if I think about the words of this prayer and I walk through them slowly, I never, I, I always walk away just feeling impacted by what I just said. But I think this digression here in the middle of our sermon, it goes deeper into this example prayer in order to begin giving us a compass, if you will, as to how to battle our inner desire to make life about us and to be seen before others in all of our spiritual actions and how we live out our faith. So it's not only a guide on how to pray, it's also a guide on how to give and how to pray and how even to fast, as we will see um, at the end of our time today. So I want to briefly walk through this prayer um, together with you. The structure of this prayer, it gives us the proper, motiva- proper motivations for everything. It begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's some traditional English translation going on. Hallowed, I believe, is King James. Who said hallowed last week, that word? That's right. Nobody did unless you're quoting the prayer. It's not in our vocabulary anymore. But what it means is your name be held as high and as unique above all other names. That's what it means for his name to be hallowed. It means all praise and all glory to God our Father, your name be praised above all, and especially above my own. I have a, a thing to tell you this morning that is always our problem as people, is that we view our God too small. When we read phrases like that, we must be reminded that God is so much bigger and so much more holier than even our wildest imaginations could ever conjure up. This is to be the first reason why we literally do everything in our lives for the glory of God. Hallowed be his name and not my own. As the psalmist said, to God be the glory and not us. Rather than working and laboring in this own, our own funhouse, these mirrors that reflect our super holy and spiritual version of you, we got to tear that house down. Who cares what people think about you? What matters is how people think about God through you. You understand that? Verse 2, or the second part here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you believe in Jesus, if you have repented of your sins, if you have turned on him for saving faith, and you have embraced 
the resurrection, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection for your own newness of life today, spiritually and also physically, in that day when he returns, if you are a Christian this morning, do you imagine that when you go to heaven, God will say, great, everyone look, Bob is here. Uh, maybe there's a Bob in this. Peter's here. Now this is the place, Peter, where your wildest dreams will come true. I will give you everything you want that makes you happy. Whatever you desire. Whatever you've always longed for. Gold, riches, big houses, nice clothing, whatever. Your will be done in this place. You ever heard heaven almost accidentally spoken of in that way? And I would say, hold up. Wait. Let's, let's think about this word, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What this is saying is that in heaven, heaven's not about us. Heaven's about God. In fact, in heaven, God's will is the only thing that is accomplished. Your importance, it disappears in heaven. And your life becomes completely wrapped up and enveloped and hidden in Christ. God is at the center of that place. It is the place where when Isaiah was brought through a vision to see the throne room, the actual place where God dwelt, he said, woe is me. If I stay here, I'm going to die. I am unclean because of the holiness of God. There's verses in the Old Testament that all over the Bible that talks about this, this grand holiness of God in his throne room, in his place. In Psalm 103, it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and from there his sovereignty rules over all. Revelation 20, verse 11. I saw a great, a great white throne and him who sat upon it. Listen to this from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. There was no place found for them. Isaiah 66, thus says, this always makes me kind of laugh. I think it's intended to be kind of funny as a rebuke when you look at the context in Isaiah because they were just enamored with this temple they built saying, look at this, look at this house, it's so wonderful. This is God's little, you know, rebuke for those people. He said, thus says the Lord, Isaiah 66 verse one, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. I mean, I use a footstool to climb in my kitchen cabinets to get something, right? And the idea is God is sitting in heaven on his throne and the earth is like below his feet. Can you comprehend that the size that is spoken of of our Lord here, albeit metaphorical, but the idea is his very presence is incomprehensible and his sovereignty incomprehensible. Who, again, is at the center of heaven? Whose will is accomplished in heaven? Jesus is praying that what happens in heaven with this all-glorious God that we worship who sent his own son for us, who loves us so dearly, that his will is fully accomplished, that what happens there can be reflected here on earth. That's the prayer. And this is actually good news, that we can actually have a glimpse of heaven today. Not perfection, not by no means. We have a fallen world and things will never be perfect until he returns. But there can be glimpses of this when our heart becomes changed and renewed in him. When our motivations align to his glory, suddenly we get little glimpses of heaven when his will is accomplished here on earth. 
It says things like, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. It is right hands are pleasures forevermore. These things become desirable that we see glimpses of it here on earth because we know that what's in it for us, God is in it for us. And once that's the case, we find incomprehensible joy that is not circumstantial, right? That we find the fullness of joy and even glimpses of that now. But the key here is that life no longer is about you, but it's about him. You see how these verses kind of guide us throughout our time this morning? So the next verse, give us this day our daily bread. Just a side note here. Um, you may sound weird coming from a pastor to say this. I think we need to lower our expectations from God. You say, what? What did a pastor just say? Well, listen, our daily bread. I think you need, and I, you and I need far less than we think we need. And I think God has given us far more than we are aware of. Are you pleased with the minimum? Jesus is saying, he's not saying, you know, give me impeccable, you know, uh, uh, health and, and wealth and a huge house and a staff that serves me, you know. He's not praying this a lot. He's, he's saying, bread, God, just give me what I need today. Are you pleased? With, are you content with the minimum? Jesus, uh, Paul said later in Philippians, I think thinking through passages like this, he said, I've learned the secret to be content in all things. I can do all things, which is contentment in context. One of the most abused verses in the Bible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. First Timothy 6, 8 says, with food and clothing, we shall be content. Maybe we ask too much from God when he has already given us more than enough. Does that make sense? He continues on. Forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So far, all the praying and giving we've talked about has been about us. That's the rebuke that comes from this passage. The prayer here redirects our heart to first be about hallowing his name, to him be the glory, and now it's about the other people. Just as God has forgiven you, you are to now forgive others. As we pray for perseverance from the evil one, we get the grace from God that we have received and we then extend it to others. Remember the whole summary, I'm just kind of hammering down all of your throats here, of the Bible that Jesus gave? Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what that means is, are you forgiven? Great, forgive others, right? This orientation can heal you from the constant work of building and rebuilding that fun house that makes life all about you and trying to manipulate situations to make it about you. And it's easy sometimes to say, oh, Jesus, I am just forgiven in you. I'm so thankful for your forgiveness. And then a really hard thing happens and somebody sins against you and it's hard. And then you have an opportunity to forgive that person. It, it's so easy to say like, nah, I, I can't. Do you know how rough that is what they did? To, do you know what they did to me? I can't, but thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And we do that, right? I mean, admit it, I've done it, right? 
And Jesus is breaking us down to say, do you really understand the depths of my love for you? Do you really, do you really understand the forgiveness of I, do you understand the offense that you've given me in your own hard heart? Did you know that it cost the very life of my son? I've given you unfathomable grace through his blood. Can you extend that grace to others, even if they're undeserving? Uh, Scott McKnight, a famous New Testament scholar, he said this about those final words that are hard when Jesus says, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, that God will not forgive us. This is what he says. He says, Jesus' aim here is to demand forgiveness of his followers. And I, I will say, Jesus does make demands on us, all right? And it is what it is. He makes demands. He's demanding forgiveness of his followers, and he's threatening them with God's judgment if they don't become a forgiving people. In other words, when we preach that forgiveness, but we don't extend it to others, a rightful question could be, do you really get it? Do you, under, do you really get the gospel? If you can't extend this to others, maybe there's something missing in the core ABCs of your faith after all. That's the harsh word coming from our Lord today. I want to close with uh, this topic of fasting that kind of uh, uh, finishes off this section in the Sermon on the Mount. Beginning of verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they received their reward. The praise of man is all that you get. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, you know, fasting is hard work. Um, there's also an imperative here that says uh, when, not if. Okay? You pay attention to each word in the scriptures. Jesus isn't saying if you fast, it's when. When you're doing something hard, sometimes you really wish other people would see just the hard work you're doing. It's like, yeah, I'm really struggling here as I'm trying to fast, right? And, and so the temptation is for somebody to say, like, well, how, how are you? You look a little tired today. Yeah. I'm fasting today, right? And the whole idea is that if you feel that temptation or if you look in the mirror, you say, whoo, I look tired today. I'm trying to pray and fast and I'm, I'm looking a little beat up. Well, then wash your face. Like, don't look beat up. The whole idea is that you don't want other people to see what you're doing because again, the question is begging, who are you doing it for? Is it for God or is it for you? Are you trying to develop a more hunger, a deeper hunger for our Lord through your fasting or are you doing it so you can tell somebody else, I fasted this week. I did. Mm -hmm. I fasted this week. Who are you doing it for? I want to circle back around to this funhouse illustration as we bring things to a close this morning and ask some questions. Uh, worship team at this point can come up. How much do you care about what others think about you and why? How hard do you work at building your own funhouse? And whether intentionally or even at times unintentionally, how often do you get that wavy mirror and tilt it this way and that so people see you in a different light that is not reflective of who you really are? Why are other people's opinions and thoughts about you and their approval of you so important to you? And we'll come back to that at the end. Number two, don't be quick to judge somebody. If somebody's next to you and they're actually like are worshiping and their hands are up and they're just, they're deep in worship, 
don't hear this sermon and get cynical and be like, oh man, hypocrite. Maybe not. Like maybe they're actually just genuinely worshiping and just lost in worshiping our Lord, right? You can't see hearts. Don't be so quick to judge and don't get cynical here, right? Maybe these people who do write that extra zero did it out of the abundance of their heart for the glory of God, right? Maybe that person praying in that small group got lost in their prayers. And they're just rejoicing in God and the words got a little wordy, right? Let's caution our hearts to not be so quick to judge and to develop a cynicalness towards these things, right? And number three, this most important part, if you don't walk away from anything else uh, without hearing, hear this. The sickness, the symptom of this, when we struggle with this, the symptom is this, that you don't know the vastness of the love of God for you. That you don't see the complete picture of Jesus' love for you. That through his blood, you are of the God of the universe, of all things. He alone spun all things into existence. That he approves of you because of his son. That he loves you because of his son. You can't do anything to make God more happy with you or more upset with you. You can't make him be more in love with you or you can't lose his love. It is already maxed out. Do you understand that? You can't get more love from God. It's, it's, it's on max. It's all the way up. It's resting on you. And he says, you're my child and I love you. It doesn't matter the approval of those people around you. You already have my approval. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my family already. And that's my appeal to you this morning. Do you understand this? Do you believe this? Jesus has already died in your place and washed away your sins. You don't need to labor for the approval of others. In Christ, he already approves of you. So embrace that this morning and let us pray. Jesus, thank you for the good news that you love us, Lord. Lord, we repent when we think that we have to put on this show to make other people more impressed when inside we're just really doing it for ourselves and we imagine that other people's approval and a different image of us going out really somehow may save us or may rescue us from all that's wrong with us. And Lord, you, you've already done that work. The cross is finished, you said. You said it, it is finished as you yelled it out upon your last breath. And three days later, as we celebrate in about a month, you bursted out of that grave offering new life to all who would believe. You are reconciling humanity back to yourself that we may rediscover the treasures of having you being our all in all. So Lord, may we forget about ourselves continually. May we just quit living for ourselves. Even this morning, I just had to ask for repentance for my wife, when I was an idiot yesterday. Help us, Jesus, to repent of these things, to be aware of them, to turn from them, and to be honest about them, and just beg out, Jesus, be my all. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Renew my heart even this morning. I need you. We pray this in your name. Amen. After the song today, our... Um, our elders will be uh, up front. We encourage you, if you need prayer this morning, please don't leave without grabbing somebody. Thank you.
the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me have paid my rent. 